Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org and the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Narjos Flores, and I will be your host for this very special episode of Lung Cancer Concert. I'm the Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Today, we'll be discussing a subset of patients with lung cancer and all translocations. We have two very special guests that have extensive experience not only in studying this biomarker, treating patients, but also surviving the disease. It's a true pleasure to introduce Dr. Lockley. Dr. Lockley is a physician scientist at Vanderbilt University that focuses in thoracic malignancies. Dr. Lockley's clinical practice focuses in the primary care of patients with lung cancer, and her laboratory research is directed at understanding and developing improved therapeutic strategies for a specific clinical relevant molecular subsets of lung cancer. And her work has led to groundbreaking information and in all positive nosmosal lung cancer. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, Dr. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here today. We also have the pleasure of hosting Mrs. Yvonne Diaz. Yvonne is a strategic communications professional with over 30 years experience at global organizations. She lives in London and the UK with her husband, teenage twin sons, and dog. Yvonne was diagnosed with a stage four all positive lung cancer in August of 2021. After initially seeing her doctor for a cough that wouldn't go away. The low level of research funded into lung cancer inspired Yvonne to advocate for research, raise awareness, and support others with this incurable disease. Yvonne is the current chair of Alp Positive International. She serves on the board of Alp Positive Inc. and is an active member of Lung Cancer Europe. Thank you, Yvonne, for being here with us. Hi, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you. We are friends. We know each other in person and online, so we're going to be referring to each other by first name, as this is a friendly conversation, a very important topic. It's important to mention that we're going to go from basics to the future of our positive nosmosal lung cancer. So let's start with the basics. Christine, what does ALK stand for? And what are some of the unique clinical pathologic characteristics of patients with ALK translocations? Is this more common in women, men, any common sites or metastasis at presentation? Sure. Thank you so much for the great question. And thank you so much to everyone who's listening out there today. This is a great topic to talk about ALK positive lung cancer. So ALK or ALK stands for anaplastic lymphoma kinase. And why that's important for us to think about or even know what the acronym stands for is ALK is a kinase. And so we treat ALK with kinase inhibitors, which we will get to later in this podcast episode. ALK-positive lung cancer was first discovered in 2007. It tends to occur more commonly in patients who have never smoked. 
But it is very, very, very important for everyone listening to this podcast to know that even though ALK tends to occur more commonly in patients who are never smokers, we absolutely must do biomarker testing for all patients with lung cancer because ALK positive or ALK fusions or ALK rearrangements as we refer to them, and we will get to that more in more depth throughout the podcast as well, can occur whether you're a current smoker, a former smoker, a never smoker, we do not discriminate biomarker testing based on smoking status or not. So ALK, though it tends to occur more in never smokers, can occur across multiple different histologies of lung cancer. Uh, it can occur in current, former, or never smokers. Uh, it tends to be slightly enriched in younger females, although that is, again, we do not use age gender or smoking status to stratify how we do our biomarker testing in lung cancer. And in terms of types of metastasis, ALK positive lung cancer appears to have a particular proclivity for metastasis to the CNS. And so like all lung cancers, we always check our patients for CNS metastasis, but ALK positive lung cancer tends to have a special inclination to go to the brain. And so we'll also get into that in a little bit more depth, but I wanted to just open this conversation with ALK. ALK stands for anaplastic lymphoma kinase. It is kinase that we treat with kinase inhibitors, which we will get into. It tends to occur more commonly in never smokers, but we absolutely must do biomarker testing with equity for all of our patients with lung cancer. Thank you so much, Christine. And I really like the focus that Previous tobacco use should not be a criteria for not doing biomarker testing. I think patients should be tested for biomarkers and the diagnosis of lung cancer is not complete until biomarker testing is done. Yvonne, how would you describe all positive, no small cell lung cancer to a family member or a patient that has been newly diagnosed and is so overwhelmed with everything that comes with this diagnosis? Yeah, so thank you. Um, I mean, obviously, Dr. Lovely. Christine gave such a beautiful, very precise definition. I think to put it back into terms, patients, family members, and friends can understand really often we describe this as um, it's caused by a mutation of the ALK gene. We know that um, ALK genes exist in, in embryos, they exist in the body. We don't really know why this cancer happens. It does tend to happen in younger people. We find our median age of diagnosis is around 50 or 52. And we see many young people in our support communities. They tend to be in their 30s and 40s, but obviously span all ages as has been discussed here. Um, we also see a lot of women and what can be unusual when you're diagnosed is that many of us are actually quite healthy. As been discussed here, many of, many of us have never smoked or have had a light smoking history, um, but obviously we see all people. So it, it's just quite surprising when you're diagnosed with this. It really feels like it comes out of the blue. Thank you, Yvonne, for sharing that with us. And as we move deeper and deeper in the conversation, Christine, are all our translocations the same? And do, do some drugs work better for ones than others? Yeah, this is a great question. And I, I, I will start by saying again, going back to this message for everyone who's listening, whether you're a patient or a caregiver or a provider just trying to learn more about lung cancer is that biomarker testing, as NJ said, you know, a diagnosis of lung cancer is not complete without biomarker testing. And ALK is just one of many biomarkers 
that uh, we consider in lung cancer. And this podcast has certainly, over the three years that it's been um, in, in production, has talked about basically every biomarker out there. So ALK, um, or again, anaplastic lymphoma kinase, is something we test for, but it is not one distinct entity. And, and this can be honestly a little bit confusing. So when you look at the molecular reports or the biomarker reports that come from patients when their tumors are tested, sometimes it may say EML4 ALK. Sometimes it may say EML4 ALK variant 1, EML4 ALK variant 3. It may say something like PFG ALK. So let me explain what that means. ALK in lung cancer is what we call a rearrangement or a fusion. And what happens is ALK is a gene on chromosome two. So it's on one of the chromosomes, it's on the second chromosome specifically. And what happens in the tumor, and it's important to know this is happening in the tumor, not in the normal cells. And so let me pause for a minute and again say, this is not something that patients pass on to their children. It is something that happens during adulthood it's not something that you're born with. It's something that goes wrong in the lung cells during life, not something that was present at birth. And so ALK, which lives on chromosome two, undergoes what we call a rearrangement on the chromosome, where something on the DNA, because chromosomes are made up of DNA, switches or changes, and ALK joins abnormally with a partner gene. And that partner gene may be EML4 ALK, that's the most common fusion. And we call it fusion because the EML4 gene fuses with the ALK gene. So ALK, even though we call it ALK positive lung cancer, ALK always has a partner. And that partner is almost always EML4 ALK in lung cancer. And so uh, we use ALK colloquially because it's just honestly easier to say. There are different variants of ALK and different variants of EML4 ALK. And I will say in the clinic right now, we treat them all these different variants, whether you're EML4 ALK variant one or EML4 ALK variant three or TFG ALK or KIF5B ALK, all the many different dancing partners, if you will, for the ALK gene. Right now in 2023, we treat these all, all the ALK partners as if they're the same. But there are lots of data to suggest preclinically in laboratory studies and some retrospective clinical studies, if we look backwards, that maybe some of the different ALK fusions behave differently. That maybe when ALK partners with different uh, proteins, different genes, that, that, that actually confers different properties. And so I think an important message is not all ALK is exactly the same, that ALK has different partners, that if you're reading your tumor biomarker report and it seems confusing, and you're a patient listening to this podcast or a provider listening to this podcast, please listen to or speak with your, your, your physician, speak with your molecular pathologist, contact me. I'm happy to chat about ALK anytime because it can get confusing, um, that this is a very much an evolving topic. Most importantly, we never want to miss an ALK fusion because ALK fusions, to get to the second part of NJ's question, there are many different drugs we can use in the clinic to treat ALK. And there are different stages in which we can use those drugs. 
I'm going to, for the sake of time and for just to open the discussion, say right now, there are different what we call generations of ALK inhibitors, and we call those inhibitors TKI or tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And that's why I mentioned earlier that ALK is a kinase. These tyrosine kinase inhibitors or TKIs are pills that patients take to treat their cancer. And there are several of them. And so we're, we're fortunate in a way in the world of ALK positive lung cancer to have several different options that are pills that are FDA approved and even several different pills that are experimental that are in clinical trials right now. And these different pills, and I'll name a few of them in a moment, have different strengths and weaknesses. Some of them um, have different side effects. Some of them work better or not as well against different resistance mutations, which we'll get into in a little bit more depth as this conversation goes on. But this is a very, very nuanced conversation about which drug, which ALK TKI, which ALK inhibitor would you take as a patient depends on what stage your cancer is at. It depends on what other medications you may be on. It depends on what side effects that ALK TKI causes and how that, that drug is going to work in your body because they, these drugs work differently and they have different side effect profiles. And it's very, very important to be communicating with your provider, with your physician, uh, with your care team about how these different drugs work. So just to name a few of the drugs, the first ALK drug that ever came out was crizotinib. Functionally speaking, we, ne we rarely use that drug anymore because we have, honestly, more potent drugs. The second wave or second generation of ALK drugs that came out are ones called electinib, bergatinib, seritinib. Insartinib. The third wave of drug that came out was something called lorlatinib. Those are all minus insartinib, FDA-approved drugs. There's even new drugs that are experimental, uh, compounds that are still in clinical trials, not yet FDA-approved, that we could get into. I think the take-home message here is there are many drugs that we can use to treat positive lung cancer. It depends on the stage of the, the cancer at the time when the patient is diagnosed, the side effects of the drug, and conversations that patients have with their providers. I'm happy to get into more detail. There's a lot we could talk about here, but maybe I'll end there for sake of time. And um, NJ and Yvonne, we can, three of us, get into more detail about this very important topic. Thank you, Christine. That was certainly, I'm going to recommend this just to all of our fellows. That is a wonderful explanation of where the ALF fusions are, what is out there, and how we are learning that they're all not the same. And as we discuss ALF fusions, they represent three to 5% of newly diagnosed non-small lung cancer. As you mentioned, there are several therapeutic options. But in order for our patients to get to the correct therapy, testing is necessary. And this question is for the two of you. Yvonne, why is biomarker testing important for patients with newly diagnosed lung cancer? And how was, you know, your experience when it comes to biomarker testing? Okay. Yeah. No. So, I mean, as, as Dr. Lovely have been saying, lung cancer, um, obviously there's so many types of, of ALG, but even stepping back as a patient, the one thing that can be surprising when you're first diagnosed is that lung cancer is not just one disease. 
right? There are many types, subtypes, mutations. And really, biomarker testing means that we can now personalize treatment. It really helps people like myself be put on the right treatment at the right time. Many of us are diagnosed, myself included, at stage four. And really, at that time, you're, you're quite unwell. The cancer is, is quite advanced. And these targeted therapies that um, Christine was talking about, they're really nothing short of remarkable in that really within taking them, despite being quite unwell, you can, you can feel pretty well within days or, or even a couple of weeks and really start many of your usual activities. So biomarker testing really allows us to be put on the treatments that are specifically made for our lung cancer. So, Christine, we keep talking about biomarker testing. Biomarker testing is very important to identify the alfusion. But how is this diagnosis made? Do we prefer tissue versus circulating tumor DNA? Can you walk our audience about making the diagnosis of alfusions in patients with newly diagnosed lung cancer? Sure. This is a a very, very important question and a a question that honestly is bigger than ALK-positive lung cancer, but I I will frame my response in terms of how do we find ALK as a biomarker? And so ALK is just one of of many biomarkers that we think about in lung cancer in 2023, and and that list continues to grow. and, And that's wonderful because biomarkers, it's how we develop and deliver precision medicine care to our patients. And so that's why we keep emphasizing the importance of biomarker testing. And you know, what does that even mean? What is a biomarker? A, a biomarker is, is kind of analogous to a, a flag in the tumor. It's, it's, it's a way we can say, what's the Achilles heel of the tumor? And can we use that Achilles heel therapeutically to say, hey, if we understand how the tumor is growing, why the tumor is misbehaving and acting the way a tumor acts, growing the way a tumor grows, which is abnormal from the normal lung tissue, then can we use that information? Can we exploit that information to help kill the tumor? So that's why we we emphasize so importantly biomarker testing. We're looking for a therapeutic Achilles heel to help kill cancer. So there are a couple ways we can do that. And we, we have to do that by, we want to find tumor biomarkers. So we have to look at the tumor. So the, the classic way to find biomarkers is to actually use a patient's biopsy or surgical sample. And we take the biopsy. So most patients will have a core biopsy or will have had a surgical resection of their, sam- of their tumor, depending on what stage of disease they're at where we actually get a chunk or a piece of their tumor. And that tumor then is um, ground up to take the tumor genetic material, the DNA. And when I talk to my patients, I explain DNA as the DNA is the blueprints of the tumor. Just like you have blueprints for building a house, DNA is the blueprints for building a cell. And when you're talking about tumor DNA, the tumor DNA is the blueprints for building the tumor. And so the biomarker testing is looking at the blueprints of the tumor. And so we want to get that blueprints material, that DNA. And one way we can do that is by getting it out of the tumor biopsy. That's the classic way to do it. Another way and a more you know, novel sort of innovative way we can actually sometimes look at these biomarkers is there are some tumors that actually shed 
pieces of DNA into the bloodstream. Not all tumors do that. So that's a very, very important thing to hear and clarify. But for those tumors that actually shed pieces of tumor DNA into the bloodstream, we can actually do biomarker testing by just doing a blood draw in the clinic. And so in 2023, there are potentially two ways that we can look for biomarkers. And again, the biomarkers, when I specifically say that, I'm talking about looking at the genetic makeup of the tumor, the blueprints of the tumor, if you will. The classic way, looking at the tumor itself by the biopsy or the surgical specimen. The more newer, innovative way is looking to see if we can find any of that tumor DNA in the bloodstream. Again, not every tumor is going to shed DNA into the blood, but when if we can find it, then that's a very convenient source of material to do biomarker testing. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I have a follow-up question that I think uh, some of my patients ask, and is often, you know, the liquid biopsy or the cancer cells are circulating and 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 the bloodstream that may be able to be catch, as you say, no every patient um, is shredding the tumor DNA into the blood. How would you explain to our audience, you know, when a liquid biopsy is negative, that that uh, still may not be enough to rule out uh, alpha fusion in a patient? Yes. So let's let's take this framework of biomarker testing and put it specifically into the realm of ALK. Thank you so much, NJ. So ALK, it gets increasingly complicated. And I will say, you know, when as you're listening to this, it's beautifully complicated in a way. And that that's kind of how I talk to my patients about it. You know, as we deliver more and more precise care to our patients it gets more and more complicated. And, and that's good because that means we're drilling down more and more to understand the biology of the tumor. And so to find out in the tumor, whether you're talking about finding it in the actual tumor biopsy or finding it in the blood, has some special nuances um, that you have to think about when you're thinking about the testing. And so ALK itself is a little bit more difficult to find in the blood than in the tumor. And that has to do with the pieces of DNA, the size of the pieces of DNA that float around in the blood. And this gets a little bit deep into the weeds, but let me try to explain this. The pieces of DNA that tumors shed into the blood are very small pieces of, of DNA. So DNA is like long spools of yarn. And so the DNA in the tumor is these like long spools of yarn that we can remove from the tumor and use for the, the biomarker testing. The pieces of DNA that are shed into the bloodstream are like little snippets. And it's a little bit more challenging, technically speaking, to find ALK from those little snippets of DNA in the bloodstream. So sometimes we have to consider if the blood test, the, the liquid biopsy, as we call it, is negative, there's many reasons that the liquid biopsy can be negative. That doesn't necessarily mean that the tumor biopsy biomarker testing will be negative. So tumor testing and liquid biopsy or blood testing are not mutually exclusive. They complement each other. Oftentimes, we may have one or the other, but not both. But these two tests, for everyone who's listening, in the ideal world, 
in the ideal, ideal, ideal world, for every patient, we would have both tumor and tumor testing and blood testing for biomarker assessment. That's practically very difficult to do. These two tests, tumor biomarker testing and blood biomarker testing, are not exactly the same thing from a technical perspective. And so the way we detect ALK in one and the other is not exactly the same either. So it is a little bit more difficult to find ALK in the blood, not impossible, than it is to find ALK in the tumor. Uh, so if you get a negative liquid biopsy, there's many reasons that that may happen. And some of those reasons are purely technical reasons. Thank you so much for explaining that. And something that we actually probably never have explored in the podcast is the patient's perspective when it comes to biomarker testing. I often explain to my patients and they're like, what are titles? Do I need more biopsy? So Yvonne, how was your experience regarding biomarker testing to make the diagnosis of positive lung cancer? If you can share your experience with us, that would be wonderful. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think in a strange way, one of the hardest times is in the weeks and months when you don't know what you're facing, right? So I was personally quite a, quite unwell at diagnosis. I had a lot of pain. Um, I, I was vomiting all day, couldn't eat, sleeping a huge amount. My kids wouldn't leave my bedside and, and they were doing everything from eating their meals to doing their homework in bed with me. And this process does take a while. I mean, it, the way Christine describes it, it's extraordinarily complex and, and you can see why. Um, I, I also had to have two biopsies. So they did the first one via bronchoscopy and um, that was mainly necrosis. So then they had to go in and do a second via CT guided lung biopsy. I was also really lucky at that time while waiting for the lung biopsy to come back that my oncologist said, why don't we do a blood biopsy? So I was kind of getting every single... Um, you know, way possible checked. So the the waiting is hard because you know you have stage four lung cancer. You want to start doing something about it, frankly, right? Um, but you're also you also know it's best not to start treatment until you have your specific diagnosis back. So for any physicians here, I, I really can't overstate how important it is to share with your patient that while treatment is urgent, that there is time to make the right diagnosis, right? Rushing into treatment isn't necessarily the right thing to do because it is taking a while to, to get the diagnosis back and, and even multiple biopsies potentially checking in during this waiting time is also important. One of the good, many good things my oncologist and, and nurse did was to put me in touch with one of the biomarker-specific support groups. Um, I joined Alk Positive Inc. Um, supports group in, in the U.S. and also the U.K. one. And while it's it's a lot to take in, even joining the support groups are overwhelming. Um, uh, you know, you're told not to Google, but finding the right information is key. And um, and obviously that's that's really a good space for some of the charities to get in there. But um, obviously before you know your biomarker, it's it's the broader groups like longevity, others who have just reliable, good information on lung cancer. And that can really help the education, having patient-friendly material to to really understand the importance of, of biomarker testing is really important. And even the questions you should be asking if you're receiving biomarker, if you're not receiving it, why not? Um, all of that is really key. Thank you, Yvonne, for sharing your experience. And I think that you also share as a good message that sometimes we need our repeat biopsy and 
I see it in the faces of my patients. Like it's like, oh no, more waiting. But I think a good chunk of patients sometimes they need a repeat biopsy because tissue may be dead, like in what you share with us, or you may run out of tissue, or the right tissue wasn't obtained, and we have normal lung tissue at the same time. So thank you for sharing that because I think that's a reality more than something that doesn't happen is the need of repeat biopsies. I also love Yvonne's message. And this is such a wonderful message is checking in with your doctor and you're checking in with your patients on both sides. That time between getting the diagnosis of lung cancer and getting the biomarker testing results can seem like forever. Hmm. Because sometimes these testing results take two to three weeks to come back, which seems like an eternity, I think, on both sides, from the patient's perspective and from the provider's perspective. And having that continuity of communication with your patient, I think, as as a physician, is so incredibly important. And really emphasizing, like, hey, you know, the biomarker testing, we're waiting for the results, the results are cooking. This is incredibly important because it could change completely the way we treat your cancer and emphasizing and just reinforcing the message of here's why we're doing the biomarker testing. Because My perception is this time is just agonizing that wait period. I, I agree with the two of you and I have my patients tell me, so we hurry up and now we wait. Mm-hmm. And that's a very true statement. You're like, scare me. And now you're like, oh, now we wait. And for patients that won't say they're healthy, they never saw this coming. It's, this is how my patient told me, I was hit by a truck. And now you need to tell me that the ambulance would take between two to three business days to pick me up from the sidewalk. That's how this feels. And honestly, I cry and she cry. <laughs> we cried for quite a few minutes because that was the reality. That's how she felt. You know, it's like, I just told you you have lung cancer, but now we have to wait. It's, it's, it's incredible, but it's important. And then I think it's important that luckily that patient, we found a biomarker and she's like, okay, at least the ambulance came and picked me up. Because she keeps saying that. So we are talking about all from basics to the future. And I think initially I wanted to talk about the therapies, but I think we won't not have enough time. And I think this should be part one. And we're going to have another episode with part two because there's so many agents in this line. And I don't want to rush it through it and, you know, talk about electinib, lorlatinib, and very quickly when there's so many other things that I think are less discussed when it comes to um, ALK positive therapy. So along those lines, we know there's several agents, and Christine mentioned the agents that are FDA approved in the United States, there are two agents approved in first line, or more than two. There are several agents approved in first line. We have several options. So Yvonne, how were the treatment options presented to you by your team mm-hmm. when it comes to the agent that you can go on for the outfusion that was discovered? Yeah. So 
I, I realize I'm I'm quite fortunate in that I see a top lung cancer specialist in the UK, and he explained to me that there are several options today for ALK along the lines of what Christine was mentioning earlier. He made the recommendation based on several factors and even what Christine was saying, looking at the variant um, numbers, all of those things on variant three, and then also from speaking with me, what what kind of TKI might fit in with my lifestyle. And I, I think in that first line setting, it's really complicated. We're, we're completely dependent on our oncologists. It's very difficult to digest complicated, incomplete scientific information during a very emotional time. So I, I think, look, the best thing we can do as, as patients, anyone newly diagnosed, is to be an active member of your healthcare team. At the end of the day, no one cares as much of your diagnosis as you and your family, right? So I mentioned earlier, um, if you're fortunate to find a biomarker, a treatable biomarker, the biomarker support groups are really incredible. And I would love to say that, look, it's all perfect in there, but we, we see people joining these groups who have stage four ALK and they're still put on chemo, um, you know, different kind of treatments that we know not to be the standard of, of care. There's also issues, I mean, again, from the support group point of view, I would say that in some countries like the UK, people may not be aware that they're entitled to a second opinion, right? And even all over the place, people are afraid to ask for second opinions just for, you know, any concerns of offending their their physicians. And, and another, I guess, fact that we all live with is that in some rural settings, your physician may not see many ALK patients. I was just speaking to a young lady this morning, diagnosed at 23, um, been through, she's on her third line therapy right now. And her, her oncologist, I think she's a third um, ALK patient he sees. And so some individuals, you know, your oncologist may be treating every type of cancer under the sun. They may not understand what you're on, have deep expertise in into these TKIs and, and the whole wrath of side effects that come with them. So ultimately, really, um, you just need to find a physician who not only you believe in, but also someone who believes in you, right, who really takes an interest in you as a patient. I love all the messages from the two of you. I, this is going to be, I'm just over the moon. I'm just so excited to get this out there because so many good messages in one conversation. Uh, we're talking about basics to the future. We did a little skip about the treatments because I think that deserves a dedicated conversation. But Christine, unfortunately, our patients, a good chunk of patients will develop the resistance to these TKI or tyrosine kinase inhibitors that inhibit the, the fuchsia. What is the importance as we look on the future of a biopsy at the time of disease progression for out positive non-small lung cancer? Yeah, this is a great question. And let me take a step back just to frame a kind of clinical scenario for everyone who's listening. So we've been talking about these ALK drugs, these what we call TKIs, and how there are several of them. And, and they really are, I think Yvonne said miracle pills for, for many patients. And this is the type of precision medicine targeted therapy that, that we wish we had for every patient with lung cancer. The flip side is, although these drugs are very, very, very effective, they don't work forever. And so patients will often have symptomatically feel dramatically better within days of starting the drugs 
and their tumors shrink, but it's not a cure. And so a big, big, big push in the research area is to say, how do we continue to drive innovative therapies? How do we make better treatments for patients with alpha-positive lung cancer? And one of the ways to do that is we understand when patients go on an ALK drug like lorlatinib, olectinib, brigatinib, that patient may experience a significant shrinkage of their tumor, but at some point in time, the tumor is going to figure out how to escape the effects of the drug. At some point in time, the tumor is going to say, ha ha, I'm smarter than the drug, and I'm going to figure out how to grow even when the drug is still present. We call that resistance, or more specifically, acquired resistance. And acquired resistance means that a patient went on an ALK drug, their tumor shrunk, but at some point in time, and it may be months or years, the patient is still taking the drug, but the tumor starts to grow again. And there's a lot of depth to go into in this conversation as well. But when the tumor starts to grow again on an ALK drug, after the patient's already had a, a response to that drug, what we want to do in the clinic is try to say, how do we stay one step ahead of the tumor? And one of the ways we can do that is by actually saying, okay, let's get another biopsy of the tumor when the drug stops working so we can figure out why did this drug stop working? We want to understand if our goal is to, to, to deliver personalized cancer care to patients, then the way we do that is by saying, we can't just pick any old therapy at the time when the drug stops working. We need to understand at a DNA level, at a molecular level, what is happening? Why did this drug stop working? And the way we do that is by taking a biopsy when the drug stops working to say, what what the heck happened? Why did this drug stop working? Can we figure that out? And can we use that information to inform our next therapy in a more precise way? I can be talking to the two of you for hours, but unfortunately we are about to run out of time. So my last question to the two of you is Yvonne and Christine, any exciting data about all positive non-small cell lung cancer that's already and you would like to share? I will start with Yvonne. I mean, so I don't know that there's any data just yet, but obviously in the ALK community, we really love research and um, we're looking forward to hearing more about some of the ALK vaccines, which are being developed in a few centers. They're all in various stages of development. So that's really exciting for us. Christine was also referring to a new molecule, um, I guess, new valent NVL655. The data is looking super encouraging. So for those of us, we do know we will face resistance, as Christine was saying, and and often develop these um, compound mutations, and and so that is really exciting. Looking at where that is heading, um, th there's so much. There's exciting things happening in ADCs and and radio ligands. I think it's increasingly looking like the future of therapy for ALK may be well in combinations of some sort. So I think all of that sounds good to us. Um, just really, obviously, we know we have great therapies today, which are giving us incredible quality of life, but we don't have a cure yet. So really love seeing that science is trying to keep one step ahead, again, as, as Christine was saying earlier. 
Christine, same question for you. What is this something inside it that's coming down the line for Alt Positive? Yeah, so I, I would say I'm I'm really excited about several different things that are coming into the world of ALK and, and moving beyond. So there are there are new ALK inhibitors like the new valent compound that I'm excited about. But really, I'm I'm excited about bringing other types of therapy into the care of patients with ALK positive lung cancer. New immunotherapies or different ways to harness the immune system to help patients with ALK positive lung cancer, like vaccines or TCRs, T-cell receptors, sort of novel immune therapies that will help in combination with ALK inhibitors to help fight ALK-positive lung cancer. I'm also really excited about using not just combinations of drugs, but combinations of ALK inhibitors plus other things like surgery or radiation to really use all the tools in our toolbox that we have available in cancer clinics to say, hey, let's put our brains together and combine not just medical therapy, but also things like radiation. So if you shrink the tumor with the drug and then shrink it even more with radiation, something we call consolidation therapy, will that help really continue to push the bounds on how well patients are living with alpha-positive lung cancer? And I'll close by saying that we recently had data um, from a big clinical trial moving ALK drugs into early stage disease. So patients with surgically resected ALK positive lung cancer. And this is an enormous step forward to bring ALK testing into early stage lung cancer, to bring ALK drugs into early stage lung cancer. It opens up even more opportunities for research. So I'm incredibly enthusiastic about the, the future of ALK positive lung cancer. I'm so enthusiastic about the community for ALK positive lung cancer, patient groups who just continue to push the bounds of research, the community of researchers on the academic and pharmaceutical side who continue to really push the bounds. I think ALK is teaching us not just about ALK positive lung cancer, but about many other lung cancers as well. And you know, that community sense is really what we need to continue to advance lung cancer treatments for all lung cancer. Thank you so much to, to you. And this is just an example of why we need to have a part two. So much data to discuss. So there's most, so much to talk about, but we're about out of time. So I would like to thank everyone for listening. And we especially would like to thank our guests, Dr. Lovely and Ms. Diaz, for making the time to join us today and for working tirelessly to advance the care of patients with all positive no small cell lung cancer any final words, Yvonne and Christine? Um, I'm happy to add a few things. So I, I think, look, um, I just want to say a message to everyone out there involved in the care of patients and research um, that the work you do matters, right? It's inspiring to know that every day there are people out there, physicians, researchers, scientists who get up every morning with their objective to improve outcomes for those of us with, with lung cancer. This is not only giving us hope, but letting us get out there and live our best life every single day. And I also want to thank you, NJ, for this podcast, really because the work you're doing here is so important to, to share that knowledge. Um, there is a lot of knowledge on ALK, as we can hear on this podcast, but that's not necessarily getting to the broader GP and community doctor type of community where they don't know about biomarker testing. They don't know that younger people can get lung cancer. So really getting the word out, doing more of that, working together to spread this word is, is really important. So all of that 
just keeps bringing us so much hope um, and, and, and really can make a big difference in our lives. Christine? I'll close by saying, first of all, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. It's fantastic to speak with you both and to be part of the larger lung cancer community. I will say it is currently November and November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And it is wonderful to talk about out positive lung cancer and how out positive lung cancer really informs not just out positive lung cancer, but the field of lung cancer more broadly. And the more we talk about lung cancer, the more we shed light on lung cancer, the more we bring awareness to lung cancer patients, caregivers, providers, lung cancer research. We need to continue to shout it high from the mountains. We need awareness of lung cancer. We need to make sure that our patients are getting the care that they need with equity, that, that we, we have enough um, knowledge of lung cancer, that we end the stigma of lung cancer. Please, if you're listening to this, be aware that Every day is Lung Cancer Awareness Day, but especially in November, we celebrate lung cancer patients, lung cancer survivors, lung cancer advocates, lung cancer caregivers, everyone involved in this wonderful community to really bring an end to this disease. Thank you so much to the two of you. And some people may believe in science and some people may not, but during the recording, I got call and I often don't get phone calls when I have the ringtone. And it was my patient that has positive no small cell lung cancer that just delivered her healthy baby. So I do believe that means something. That means that our patient has so many reasons and it happened right when we are recording this. And it just shows that there are so many faces to lung cancer that we cannot define how somebody's supposed to look, be, sound, or affect anybody. So this, this is it for this episode of Lung Cancer Considered. We hope that you will tune in in the first and third Tuesdays of every month to give us a listen. You can engage with us in Twitter at ISLC. And also you can listen to this podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and under the newsroom tab in ISLC.org. Thank you for your time. We will continue the conversation about our positive no small cell lung cancer. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concert. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.